So now I get to preach. This is my favorite part of the week. This for me is uh, what you practice for, what you study for, what you pray about. It's what I'm called to do. This is what I love to do, and I love to play all this, but this is what I'm called to do is to preach the Word of God to people. Um, so just remember that. I never thought I'd be called to preach the Word of God to people. Um, you never know what God has in store for you. And by the way, remember, you preach every day, right? You just use words when you need to. Amen? That's a Joyce Meyer quote. Preach the Word every day. Use words when necessary. But I'm excited to preach the Word today. I've got a little bit of time to, to get part two or week two of the position series uh, to you. This was birthed out of, I think more than anything, from a pastor's heart. Um, not from an evangelistic type of heart or not from an, an outreach type of heart and all of those things are closely related. But as I pastor this church, I pray for people and I pray for the parishioners, that's you, the people that attend every week, the foundation family, and I pray that you're living a life in such a way that you're positioning yourself to experience all that God made you for. And as a pastor sometimes, I know how I have to position myself and the, and the disciplines spiritually that have to take place in my life, and I know what they've done for me and what kind of positions they put me in for when God provides me with opportunity, I am ready because I've put some things in place in my life and I'm ready to walk through the threshold, the door that God opens for me. You're not ready for everything that God has for you all at once. You've got to grow into it. You've got to grow in grace. So uh, last week I think I said you've got to graduate from the spiritual sippy cup to the uh, to you can eat you know some steak or whatever way down the line. So that is more or less what this is about is trying to get you to understand and realize how to position yourself for all that God has for you. The point that I made up last week, point one would have been, uh, or that I had up on the up on the uh, screen was to love how God loves. That is the first and foremost thing that you have to do in your Christian walk in order to be able to open people's ears and their spirits to even be able to want to listen to or participate in what it is that you want them to do or uh, what you want them to hear, and that's the message of God. So we have to love so much, just like God did, that He gave His own Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a lot of love. The Bible says there's no greater love than Christ showed that a man would lay down his life for a friend. There's no greater love. So if you want an example of how to position yourself for all that God has for you, the plans that He has for you, the purpose that He has for you, the hope and future that He has for you, then you've got to love how Christ loved. After all, He loved you and He loved me when we were unlovable. He loved me in spite of all the jacked up things that are wrong with me. He loved me in spite of the jacked up things that I still have to try to control in my daily life. He still loves me. He knows me better than anybody and He still finds a way to love me. That's an amazing love. He knows my darkest secrets and He knows my deepest desires. He knows all about me and He overlooks all of the shortcomings and He still loves me. That's an amazing love. So if you want to position yourself for all that God has for you, you must learn to love others the same way that Christ loved you. 
loved you. And that's hard because we live in the flesh, you see. We have to let the Spirit rise up against the enemy when he wants us to think ill about others and find a way to love like Christ loves. Amen? It's a critical portion of positioning yourself. Giving is not produced... Giving that is not produced by love loses its value. Loving and giving that is not produced by love doesn't ask for anything in return. God loves the unlovable. Here's how I know. Romans 5 and 8 says that God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While I was still sinning, I didn't have to do anything for it. Well, I was still sinning. Not thinking about what God has for me. Out there doing what I want to do, right? Satisfying the flesh. flesh, Not thinking about purpose and plan. Well, I was out there just doing what I want to do. Anybody ever just try to do what you want to do? I'm going to try to convince you today to stop. But the good news is, while you were still sinning, Christ died anyway. That's grace. That's love. His death on the cross in the midst of our sin, here's where you can't get confused. His death on the cross in the midst of our sin doesn't mean that He desires us for us to go on living the way that we have been living. He died for us so we will accept Him as our Savior, invite Him into our life, let Him be the Lord of our life, let the Spirit that He is rise up in us so that we can live a life that's changed. Amen? I figured out sometimes when I'm preaching the truth because it gets real quiet. The gauge quiet on some other stuff, like how effective I might be or whatever. But I've learned to gauge it a little bit different now. They say, oh my, oh me, amen, and sometimes they just stay quiet, and I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'm going to cut you a little bit today. I'm going to cut you a little bit. The word cuts, it's like a two-edged sword. I ended last week's sermon and I talked about coming to God on His terms or coming to Jesus on His terms. A lot of people have some things going on in their life and they know they need hope, so then they give their heart to God because they need hope, but they want it to be on their terms. You have to learn how to come to God on your terms. I was listening to a guy that I listen to uh, frequently or off and on from time to time. His name's David Platt. And a while back, I was listening to him and he challenged his listeners, have you ever really come to Jesus on his terms? Maybe we should even frame it, since coming to Jesus on his terms, are you still living by the covenant and the agreement that you made with God to live a life that's holy and pleasing and acceptable unto him? Did you know that living a life that's acceptable unto God, the Bible says, Paul says, that is just your bare minimal reasonable service. Living a life that is acceptable and pleasing unto God is your reasonable service. That's baseline Christianity. Live a life that's pleasing and holy and acceptable unto God. That means you're coming to God on His terms. 
If you come to God on His terms, you will be freeing yourself from the guilt and shame that the enemy wants you to live under. You'll be opening yourself up to the blessings of the, of the crucified life. You see, crucified in the biblical spiritual terms, since Christ died the ultimate death, now if we can die to ourselves and come alive in Christ, it becomes a good term. The crucified life. Free from guilt and shame. On His terms. Opening ourselves up to the healing blood of Jesus Christ in our life. How many of you know that God is still in the healing business? He can heal you. He can make you new. Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm almost feeling like i got to talk to the camera today. If they're listening, God can heal you where you're at. He's still, still in the healing business. Everything you need, everything you have always needed is still spelled capital J-E-S-U-S. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Coming to Jesus on His terms means that you give all of yourself to Him. Hallelujah. God wants all of you. It's kind of like a marital covenant. You see, you made a covenant with God. It would be like getting married and then deciding that after the wedding, I'm never going to come home. Well, the covenant I made is not going to come to fruition. When you make a covenant, there's supposed to be a relationship that takes place. And relationships are two-way. The good thing about the relationship you have with God is we're imperfect, He's perfect, and He accepts all of our imperfections and still loves you. Now that's a good covenant. Coming to Jesus on His terms means that He determines your next steps, not you. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my tomorrow. We must be careful that coming to Jesus doesn't become transactional in nature. And what I mean by that is we as humans, we have a, we have a tendency that if I do this for God, then God will do this for me. God has already done it all for you. He sent His Son to die in your place. If you could have done it, He would have never sent Jesus. We failed as humanity. We couldn't overcome our own stinking selves. And since we couldn't obey and have the obedience of God in our life, He said, I will send my only begotten Son to do it for you because you can't get it done on your own. He's already done it all. All we've got to do is learn to accept the grace of God, the gift of God, and then learn and how to walk in and grow in the grace. God has already bought you with a price. He sent His Son to die to redeem you with His blood. That's your redemption ticket. You don't have to answer to anyone else about this relationship that you have with God. You've been justified. That means when I pray, I could hand a proverbial ticket to the one that said, nope, God's got me covered. 
I've been redeemed. I've already been bought with a price. There's nothing else I have to do. I've already been bought with a price. I'm justified. Now all I've got to do is sometimes turn in this redemption ticket, if I will, and say that the blood of Jesus has me covered, but then now that's not the end of it. That would be called abuse of the relationship. When you turn in the redemption ticket, you see, for the blood of Jesus that has bought you, then you must go on trying to live a life that's pleasing unto Him. The redemption is just not a free ticket to do whatever you want to do. That's not grace. That's doing what you want to do. The grace has already been paid. It's already been given. He bought you with a price. So now we've got to figure how to live in it. It doesn't seem real sometimes that this grace is so good. God gives His Son to die, plus we give our hearts to Him. That equals eternal life. Well, what did I give? I just surrendered it all to Him and accepted Him as my Savior. It doesn't seem fair because God seems as if He's getting nothing. But at the end of the day, God is getting from you what He's always wanted in the first place is all of you. He's always wanted your heart. He's always wanted you to be obedient. Even when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, He still chased after them in the cool of the day, the Bible says, and He hunted for Adam and Eve, and He said, Adam, where art thou? He didn't care about what had been done. He just wanted to have a covenant and a relationship with His created being that the Bible says is the apple of His eye. He just wants you. He wants you so bad and all of you so bad that He gave His Son to get you. The problem that we have is that sometimes the pride of life gets in the way. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or anything in it. So we have to define what the world is. It's not the people. We have to love people the way Christ loved us. But we live in this world, but we are not of this world. I am of the Spirit, and I live in a kingdom that is called the kingdom of God. Who is the kingdom of God? You can't always necessarily see it. It's not a skyline. It's not some place that you go to. It's the kingdom that you and I help inhabit by giving our hearts to God and live out the principles and the things of God in our life, and we become the kingdom of God. Not in love with the world and the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, love for the fathers not in them. Wow. Doesn't say that you're not necessarily susceptible to it. It doesn't say that your flesh doesn't crave it. It doesn't say all those things that sometimes we don't slip, trip, and fall. Used to be a song said, when you try to take a dip and you slip, trip, and fall. I can't remember of it. Name was Cameo. But anyway, y'all can look it up and Google it later. Back in the 80s. If anyone loves the world, love for the fathers not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but of the world. Don't cheat yourself out of the promises of God. Your flesh is capable of robbing you from the promises of God. The flesh 
uses fleshly methods to satisfy itself and ultimately leaves no room for the godly methods or godly living. And then therefore, we are once again out of position to receive all that it is that God has for us. Is this making sense to you? Say amen. Amen. So let's talk a little bit more about the promises of God. Anybody want to know about the promises of God? I'm just going to say this because, you know, I just say whatever I want to up here if I feel like God is in it. I've seen so many people in my church life. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about I grew up in this, right? I'm like the, I'm like the greasy kid that grew up in dad's garage and, you know, I just know how to work on cars. I know how to do this. This is the easy part. I know how to have church. So... I've seen so many people claim the promises of God, but see, they don't want to live out the precepts of God that allows them to walk through the threshold of what the promise actually wants to provide for them. They shout about the promise, but they don't want to live out the principles. You got to live right. Understanding more about the promises of God, it's tremendously important to putting yourself in a position to make spiritual progress. We haven't talked about that spiritual continuum a lot lately, but if you want to make spiritual progress, you must understand the promises of God. Whether you've been saved for a number of years or just a short period of time, you have equal access. Whether you've been saved for just five minutes five seconds or 50 years, you all have equal access to all of the promises of God. One of the mistakes of the church at large, I believe, is that we tell people once they're saved, they can get all the promises, but then we don't tell them how to live in them or how to gain access to them. My purpose today is not tell you exactly what the promises are, and there's thousands of them, In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you're living proof of one of the promises of God that he made to Abraham thousands of years ago. That he would make him the father of many. The line of David and Jesus. The risen one. But I just want to help you understand in general some things about promises that I think can position you for greatness in the kingdom. Experiencing the fulfillment of the promises of God is very connected to fulfilling your side of the covenant with God and therefore positioning yourself to live out God's plan and purpose in your life. Because of the nature of God and the attributes of God, He will always fulfill His side of the promise within the covenant. That's the first good news about the promises of God. If you're not living out a promise in your life that you've been waiting to fulfill or be fulfilled in your life, you don't need to look unto God. God will always live up to His side of the promise. You have to decide, what is it, God, that I need to do to live out the principles of God in my life to obtain this promise that your word says that you have for me. The difficulty for us is not allowing Satan to deceive us 
away from pursuing God and fulfilling our end of the covenant. Fulfilling our side of the covenant brings about the fulfillment of the promises of God and then therefore positioning you for your purpose. These promises are true. These promises are powerful. These promises are eternal. They glorify Him through their fulfillment. You got to hear that again. Fulfilling the promise is not about you. Fulfilling the promise is about making you who God wants you to be, and then therefore you're able to appropriately glorify God on this earth that He might be made known through you. That's what the promise is really all about. He, remember, He already paid it all. The promise is about glorifying God. The promises of God give us justification that Jesus goes to the throne room for me and says, God, this one is on me. Forgive him. It's about sanctification. The promises of God are about sanctification, which means separating yourself from the things of this world for service. That's a paraphrase. We can't preach about sanctification today. If you study the fulfillment of God's promises for any amount of time, there's something else that I want you to notice if you haven't already. You probably will begin to study about the conditions that are sometimes attached to the promises of God. There are some things that we have to do, some conditions of the promise in order to get what it is that God promises He'll provide for you. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Here comes the condition. That whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise with a condition. See, we like to shout about the promise, but we don't want to live by the conditions that we have to in order to live out and obtain the promise of God. There's things in my life that I know God has for me. I don't have them yet because I ain't lived right in that part of my life. Why? Because I'm flesh. I'm like you. You see, conditions of a promise, you, you can't... Let's talk about grace for a second, and then we're going to talk about promises again because I've got a few, a few minutes. So let's talk about grace for a second. Grace seems so irrational to the human mind. It can cause us sometimes to forget that we have a role within the covenant that we have with God in order to garner all of the benefits of the gift of grace. There's benefits to this gift of grace that He has provided for us. And the only thing he wants in return is what he's always wanted. He just wants you. You didn't earn this grace. You didn't do anything. He made you as the apple of his eye. You fell. The depravity of man has existed since the garden. Man has been falling ever since. He sent his son to rescue us. Gave us the gift of grace that we might be saved because we couldn't earn the gift. They tried to earn it all through the Old Testament. They slaughtered everything they could slaughter to try to make it right with God. They were trying to build towers up to the heavens. The Tower of Babel to try to satisfy God. But he said, no, I'm going to give you something for free. I'm going to put myself on this earth 
And I will live as man in the flesh. We'll call his name Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, and he will be able to rescue you. Usually, in this world we live in, when we give, we get something in return. That's why we can't understand grace. He didn't give it expecting to get something in return. He gave it so that we could be saved. And then therefore, because we are saved, now we have access to some of the promises of God if we can live in a way or live by the conditions of the promise. God gave so that we can get. Henceforth, giving is better than receiving. God gave so that we can get. If we follow the condition of the promises, then he really gets all that he's ever wanted. If you study the promises of God for a while, and you remember last week when I talked about Paul, it's been illuminated to me in the last couple of months, Paul preached about grace so much that he almost convinced those that were up under his ministry, they said, what should we do then? Paul, just go on sinning? If it's so good, can we just go? He said, absolutely not. By no means should you go on sinning. So we're following the conditions of the promises. There's... Something that is, if you study the promises of God for any amount of time at all, you'll notice this thing sometimes if you get deep, it's called if, then, or else. If, then, or else. If you apply it to the promises of God in hopes that you may better understand, if you apply this, you will better understand the conditions. If we believe, then we will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, He gave His one Son, that whoever believes shall not perish. So if we believe, then we will have eternal life. Or else, here's one they don't preach much anymore. There's actually a place called hell. And the king of that kingdom, whatever, wherever that is, beneath us, his name is Lucifer. And he desires to sift you, the Bible says. Sift you so that all is left is what he can capture. He desires to kill, steal, and destroy everything that you are. In the book of John, see, they were putting it lightly. And I can appreciate that. If, then, or else. So let me give you another example. And you can apply this later through the week. Like I said, there are thousands of promises in the Bible. Matthew 17, 20. Might even have that. He replied, Because you have so little faith, truly, I tell you, if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here, and it will be moved. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, we like to shout about the nothing will be impossible for you. But see, there are conditions in order for you to be able to live a life that positions you that nothing actually is impossible for you. And what you have to do is you have to be a person 
of faith. If you have faith, doesn't require a lot when God is in it, little is, little is much when God is in it. If you have a little bit of faith, then you can tell the mountain to be moved. It will be moved. Nothing will be impossible or else you could just live with the mountain. If you have faith, it can be removed or else you could just live with the mountain in your life. You can live with the addiction in your life. You can live with the such and such in your life. You can live with the or whatever the mountain is in your life if you have just enough faith to grab the hem of his garment. The hem of his garment is a story about a, a, a woman in the Bible who had the issue of blood. She had no hope left. The doctors couldn't help her. The astrologers couldn't help her. She was dying. And she heard that the Savior was coming through. And she made a statement that said, if I can just get the hem of his garment, that would be enough to make me whole again. Or else I can decide not to pursue God, not to go after the hem of his garment, and I can just live with this issue of blood beneath what it is that God made me to be. And he said, I just felt virtue go from me. Who is it that touched me? They said, you got to be out of your mind. There's all kind of people here that, no, but I, but I felt a tug of faith. The tug that I felt on my garment, I know there's been tons of people around me today, but I, what I felt on this one felt different. She said, if I could just get a hold of the hem of his garment, I know that I would be made whole. Or else... I can just go on living this way. The promises of God have conditions that are tied to them. She couldn't heal herself from this issue of blood, but she could muster up enough strength to just grab the hem of his garment. The band could come up. I'm not sure what you're dealing with today, but if you can muster up just enough strength... God is waiting for you all along. That's what I like about God. Doesn't matter how long you've left Him. God is God, and He always will be God. He's waiting for you back where you left Him. John 15.10 says, If you obey my commands... Here come some more conditions. You will remain in my love. See, I know about his love, but Satan knows about his love as well. He left he heaven to start his own kingdom. He's the adversary of the great one, the creator. He knows about his love, but the Bible says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in His love. My love will fail you. Your friend's love will fail you. At times, my wife's love will fail me. Doesn't matter how hard she tries. But 
If I obey the commands of my Father, His love will always remain. I'll never go lonely. I'll never be without hope. No matter what this world brings my way, there's a promise in the Bible that says that one day a trumpet will sound. A trumpet will sound so loud the whole earth, the Bible says, will hear it. The angel Gabriel is going to blow this trumpet. And at that moment in time, in the blink of an eye, the ultimate promise of eternal life, I will become tangible. I will be able to see Jesus. I will be able to worship at His feet. I'll be able to go see loved ones that have gone on. I'll be able to go talk to Paul and ask him about the fear that was within him when he was being uh, crucified and it, by the Romans. All that kind of stuff. The promise of eternal life. I want you to stand with me if you would.